Welcome back, listeners, to a new episode of The New Standard. And if you're checking out the show on YouTube, it looks kind of weird this morning. Uh, I think I'm just going solo this morning. Uh, I'm not sure what's up with my co-host, Neil Kulong, but I'm sure if he gets this notification, he will hop on promptly. If not, we want to wish Neil from the program and everybody listening to the program a happy Saturday morning. Very cold all over the country. I hope everybody has been staying safe. If you want to participate on the program and join the program and join the experience, of course, we come on every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Typically, the show is from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. And we do it, of course, specific standard time because Neil and I are both on the left portion of the country. If you want to join Uh, the program via podcast platform, make sure you go to any podcast feeder and do a search for The New Standard and Lance Williams or Neil Kulong. And last but not least, you can hit the show via email at thenewstandardpod at gmail.com. Also, if there's anybody out there that's listening to the program via the podcast or because a lot of people don't listen to the show you know, on YouTube, it's kind of hard to catch. And big up to everybody jumping on to the live chat. What's up, my guy, Wes? Haven't talked to Wes for a while. Big up to Ali Howard Species. Assalamu alaikum, my brother. Um, I need some help with my social media and trying to promote the show better via social media. Because of my schedule, it's really hard for me to do the social media portion and big up to Felicia. What's happening, Felicia? It's hard for me to do the social media portion. Also, given my age, I may not be up to date on all of the best methods of promoting the show via social media. So if you want to volunteer and help me, I cannot pay you. I'm going to just tell you that right now, uh, that... Uh, Please help out the show. If you want to learn your social media chops and and just get some practice uh, and and trying to build a brand via social media so you can take those skills to another bigger platform, please hit me up at the new standard PGH at gmail.com. Or you can respond to me on YouTube in the comments, or you can respond to me on IG at the new standard PGH. Hit me in my DMs. Before we jump into the main topic of the program, which is how to measure the impact of an assistant coach. And thank you, Wes. And Wes, I hope you get better. Wes informed us that he's recovering for a torn from a torn meniscus. And I hope Wes didn't tear his meniscus chasing Felicia. But uh, I'll leave that uh, for another day. Uh, so... Let's just leave that there. And thank you, Wes. We can talk. You can hit me offline. You know, we can share some ideas on how to promote the program. Like, I've never been on TikTok before. And I know there are a lot of fans on, Steeler fans on TikTok. And I'm like, look, I never want to be on TikTok. I barely like Twitter. So, you know, I'm just one of those guys. I might be the old guy that's talking about, uh, you know, getting your, feet off my lawn or whatever the saying is I'm terrible with cliches but the main topic of this program is how to measure 
the impact of an assistant coach because we've had a lot of assistant coaches uh, be hired on the Pittsburgh Steelers staff. Alicia <laughs> said, Lance, stop being messy. I mean, y'all could have been playing flag football. Who knows? That's you, Felicia, being messy. But um, the Steelers have hired quite a few head, excuse me, assistant coaches over the, the, the couple of weeks. And, and, and what I want to do is try to drill down on, on what might be the best way to evaluate a coach's past tenure or current tenure with the team. Because I think a lot of things get thrown out on Twitter, on IG, and all that other stuff. So you know, I just kind of want to try to clarify or, or try to add some clarity. I'm not trying to give anyone a, an answer on how they should best evaluate an, a, a, the quality of a hire of an assistant coach, but I just want to give some ideas. But before I do that, I want to jump into a couple of topics. It's very interesting right now that the Pittsburgh Steelers have not rung the bell or hired their GM. And Neil and I talked weeks ago that Brandon Hunt and Omar Khan were the leaders in the clubhouse for that selection. But the Steelers have not decided to hire the position yet or hire someone new because we all know that Kevin Colbert um, is leaving after the draft. With that being said, and so now the Steelers are up to, they've interviewed about 10 people, up to 10 different people. And, you know, I'm not going to, I don't know anything about any of these people. So when Ali Howard Species says, give me Lewis Riddick, I know Lewis Riddick played for Pitt. I know Lewis Riddick, I think at a former, a former lifetime was uh, a player personnel director, I believe, for the Carolina Panthers. I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. And so one thing I will know, one thing I do know, excuse me, being 51 and turning 52 years of age in June, God willing, you don't continue to hire people or excuse me, interview people. If you are convinced, let me just say it this way. If you have your candidate, you're not going to continue to interview because one of the most valuable assets and commodities for any NFL franchise is time, time used to continue to vet interview and evaluate GM candidates could be used doing something else. And thank you, Wes. I must be clicking on all cylinders. This Starbucks coffee is very good this morning for me to be able to pull the Carolina Panthers out of the top of my cerebellum is definitely impressive for me this morning because, you know, as you well know, I get a lot of those facts wrong. Um, and I'm proud of it. So I'll say this. They must not be convinced of about either Hunt or Khan if they continue to interview people. Now, I could be completely wrong. Of course, this is speculation on my part. But in most corporate settings, and NFL teams are corporate, they're not the traditional corporate like a uh, you know IBM or an Apple or Google or whatever, Alphabet or another big company like that. 
But in my experience in working in corporate America for the last 25, 27 years, you're not going to continue to interview people when you hit that candidate that you love and you like. I mean, you're I mean, you're going to just strike while the iron's hot, so to speak, bad cliche and make that higher. But maybe because they're in the process process of evaluating prospects and getting prepared for the draft and, and trying to get prepared for the transition post Colbert, that they may have the they may want Hunt or Khan, but before they make the decision, they're just kind of just getting a touchy feel for some other candidates out there. They're going to let the process make the decision for them. So they're not going to eliminate people, but they're going to continue to interview people. And it feels like Hunt and Khan are kind of like the kept man or kept woman when you have a mate who's flirting, trying to date other people, or they don't take you seriously because you're kept. So kept meaning we have you under contract. We know if you off we offer you the job, you'll take it. So we're not going to worry about you. We're going to keep you over here. We're going to, we, you're fine where you are. You'll continue to do your job. When we make the decision, we know you'll take it. So we're not going to rush. So I think it's very weird that they continue to interview coaches. Those are my two scenarios. The first scenario is they're not, they don't like any of the candidates. My second scenario is they like Hunt or Khan, but while they're preparing for the draft, everybody's working and it's not a big deal to hire the person right now. And given that they have the extra time, and they're not going to commit on a candidate right now, they'll continue to interview candidates. So that's kind of think that's kind of where, where I think it is. And, and so West chimed in and said, I think you're closer to reality of this, Lance. But another alternative possibility is that Khan and Hunt like their current roles and want to remain in them. That's a very interesting one. And that's and, and, and I like that one, Wes. And that's one that most people don't consider. And the reason why most people don't consider is people get, most people who are ambitious get dissatisfied in a role for a certain amount of time. After a certain amount of time. And most reporting suggests that Khan and Hunt do want to move up the ladder and become GMs. I mean, we've seen Khan interview in quite a few places. So I, I, I like the thought, Wes, but I don't think that's the case. I think both guys want the job. And let me throw out a, a fourth scenario. Colbert's going to stay. That's a fourth scenario. That, that, that Colbert's going to change his mind and, and that, Colbert's going to stay. So that, that's a fourth possibility. But let me jump into another couple of topics I want to jump into before we jump into the main topic of the show in terms of how to measure the impact of an assistant coach. 
the Super Bowl was great, I guess. I don't know. Sort of. I'm going to just keep it 100. I like the halftime show. The halftime show was right. And if you grew up in the L.A. area, one of the highlights of the halftime show was the Tam's Burger sign. If you're from the West Coast, if you've ever lived in L.A., lived on the West Coast, you know what Tam's Burgers is. And, and let me give you the alternative. Tam's Burger is the equivalent of the hood in and out. So if you lived in the inner city in L.A., you didn't have access to In-N-Out till damn near the 2000s. In-N-Out would not move to the inner city. Because In-N-Out did not move to the inner city, you ate Tams, we ate Tams burgers. Tams wasn't great, but it was like the inner city hood In-N-Out. So it was great to see the Tams burger sign. I loved the whole thing. I grew up on all of that music. I'm very similar in age to Dr. Dre. I grew up on Dr. Dre Rhodium, uh, Swap Meat Mixtapes, World Class Wrecking Crew. I grew up with Dr. Dre. I've been listening to Dr. Dre my whole life in his whole musical career. If I'm turning 52, I would guess Dr. Dre is about 55, 56. But I can remember having cassettes of Dr. Dre's Rhodium tapes. I remember those. And Dr. Dre was amazing. He's always been amazing. In terms of the game itself, I was kind of high. I was kind of blah. I mean, essentially at the end of the day, the Rams out-talented the Cincinnati Bengals. And when your quarterback gets hit 18 of like, I believe it was 33 dropbacks, more than half of the dropbacks, I'm surprised that Joe Burrow made it out of the game with just the injury, a sprained MCL that he got. When I look at this Bengals team moving forward, it's very tough on teams after they lose the Super Bowl. It's very tough. And I think when you look at the Bengals, the one thing that they have to get right is they have to get that offensive line right. Joe Burrows takes too many hits, got sacked 70 times. So I can imagine in the draft, that'll be the first thing they look for. As a Steeler fan and as us listening to this show as Steeler fans, hey, man, Joe Burrow's only going to get better if he stays healthy. I mean, this guy's going into his third year, and um, it's going to be tough for the Steelers in the division because I think moving forward, I think it's, it's not – I think it's a fact that the Steelers will have the worst quarterback in the division. And if you're in a division with and – and I know Baker Mayfield's not the greatest quarterback – but if you're in a division with Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, and Lamar Jackson, and possibly Mason Rudolph as your starter, it's going to be a long year. I mean, it, it's going to absolutely be a long year. Big up to Wes, too. Wes said, I'm not from L.A., but I love the Super Bowl halftime show, the throwback NWA, Easy e Tupac references. Absolutely. I mean, if you were at a Super Bowl party, and nobody knew that music, shame on you. Go get a Spotify membership, Apple Music, and just type la-la-la-la-la. It's the Snoop Dogg. That's all I want to say. That's all. If I can say Snoop Dogg on a podcast, everything 
is worthwhile. In terms of the Rams, the interesting thing about the Rams winning the Super Bowl was their approach this year. And, and big up the Steeler Lee for chiming in. He said, it's tough for any team that win or loses the Super Bowl. Players get that recognition and want money in the offseason. And with the cap, it's hard to keep the nucleus of a team together. I'm glad you mentioned the salary cap, Steeler Lee. Because the, the, the Rams clearly took the approach of, we don't care about the salary cap. They build a super team. And this is kind of the first time we've seen it in the NFL where you had a team that really said, hey, man, I don't care about the salary cap. We'll take on dead money. We have a, a building in SoFi where we're hosting a Super Bowl. We could be the home team, and we could win the Super Bowl at home. Ironically, that's back-to-back -back years. The Bucs did it last year. They said, Cronky said, we're all in. We don't care about the cap. And, and I think what fans need to realize is the cap is just an accounting tool. People manage the cap. They do it every year. They do it every year. So cap management is a thing. But I think it's a thing like guys like me, fans like me, shows like mine, we kind of make too much of it. The salary cap is it, just something that teams manage. The more important thing when you're talking about cap management is properly prioritizing who's important and how much they are, what their value is. That's just as important as managing your cap. Teams get in trouble with their cap because they misvalue who's important and either overpay or underpay. In the case of underpay, these guys leave. Overpay, it gets you in trouble because you're not getting the production for the pay that you put in. And you could have used those resources in another way to get another player or pay another player to stay. So it's about valuation of the players that you have. And so before we jump into the main topic of the program, I want to jump into this comment from Felicia. Felicia said, my thing is, I hope the Steelers make a wise decision on the GM because we know the Steelers don't know how to let people go when they know they need to. Um, I mean, the Steelers are a loyal franchise. That, that, that's, uh, that, that's pretty funny. And, and to Ollie Howard Species' comment, the Rams are already $14 million over. I mean, that's just accounting. I mean, that, that's accounting. You can get under 14 with two moves, depending on the salary, because all you have to do is just convert signing bonus. Um, you know, all you have to do is convert signing bonus stuff into extensions and then spread that out over the remaining time uh, of the contract. Th that's all you, excuse me, not signing bonus, excuse me. You can convert salary. They're paragraph five salary. So if you're owed 20 million, you could take a portion of that money, convert it into a signing bonus, allocate that over the length of the contract, and minimize somebody's cap hit with a pen stroke. And players love it. Teams love it. Typically what happens is you'll have a big contract. The Steelers did it every year with Ben, where they'll dip into the contract, restructure it to create salary cap space. So the Rams aren't in salary cap hell. They can get out that out of that incredibly fast. Big up the mail. What's up, sir? So let me jump into the topic of the program. Is how should fans measure the impact of an assistant coach? And the reason why I wanted to jump into that is because the Steelers recently have hired 
Terrell Austin as the new defensive coordinator. And, of course, Terrell Austin has been with the Steelers for the last several years, um, coached the defensive backs. Um, and, and one of the years he coached the defensive backs in 2020, um, the Steelers limited 11 opponents below a 60% completion percentage, which led all teams for the year. Um, he's led units uh, where Pittsburgh opponents averaged a 56.7 completion percentage and a 76.7 average quarterback ranking. The other assistant coach that they hired was Frisman Jackson. Let me give you guys some background on Frisman Jackson. Played at Western uh, Illinois. Uh, brings 14 years of college or NFL coaching experience to Pittsburgh. Spent the previous two seasons with the Carolina Panthers. Very interesting that they plucked two coaches from Carolina. He was their offensive passing game coordinator in 21, and he was promoted from wide receivers coach in 20. He previously coached wide receivers in the NFL with the Tennessee Titans in 2017. Um, he's coached DJ Moore, uh, and so that's one of his standout uh guys that he coached let me give you the last background uh and that's the Steelers hired assistant off excuse me offensive line coach Pat Meyer who brings in 20 years of coaching experience including nine in the NFL spent previous two seasons with the Panthers as their offensive line coach also coached offensive line with the Chargers and the Bears Chargers in 2017 to 19 and the Bears in 2013 to 24 so the Steelers have made some significant changes to their coaching staff. And so the reason I wanted to kind of jump into this is to offer some different ways to possibly evaluate the impact of an offensive line coach. I think there's three particular ways to do it. So thanks to my guy at Steel City Insider, my guy Jim Weck. So overall, the most important way to evaluate the impact of any coach is wins and losses. So, but it's how you balance that because you could have a situation where you do not have a good team, but you have a good running game. You don't have a good team, but you have a good passing game. Your wide receivers or your tight ends perform very well. But that has to be balanced with the overall goal of winning and losing. So as you break that down a little bit more, I think there are three things that you can use to evaluate the impact of an assistant coach. One thing I think you can't do is you can't necessarily look at how a coach's previous unit performed and how their wins and losses went and say that this coach is good or not. And I think a lot of fans, when they heard these decisions, they said, oh, we're going to look at the Carolina Panthers. Oh, their running game sucked. Um, we're going to look at this coach. Oh, they didn't. You don't know necessarily behind the curtain what was going on in the situation, which could have impacted the performance of the units. Injuries. You know, injury at this position made you do something here. Then you had to do something here. And so it could alter everything. So let me give you the three things I think you can use to evaluate the impact and the effectiveness of an assistant coach. 
outside of the overarching 64,000 foot level of wins and losses, I think you can look at a couple of things, stats and player growth. If you are the coach, if you're the offensive line coach of a team that runs it, let's say, four, four and gets four and a half yards per carry, especially when you don't have premier talent on the at the position. That checks two boxes. So what that means is you're maximizing talent, which is player growth, and you're getting results on the field. Now, it could be outside of your influence. Does that result in you winning or losing? But if you have low-drafted guys, not high-pedigree guys, and you're churning out four and a half yards a pop, you're probably doing a really good job in terms of how you're coaching that position group and how you're coaching the players. So it's two things, player growth and the performance of the unit. And now when I think, I think players or coaches get moved in and out because of those two things. So for instance, when you look at the Steelers, and you look at the wide receiver group. DJ has emerged as a very good wide receiver. But Claypool has not. James Washington never really developed as well. Now, some of that may be on the quarterback, the O-line, the offense in and of itself. But we have not seen an improvement of Claypool. And we've not really seen an improvement of James Washington. So the wide the previous IQ, the previous why a receiver coach is you he failed in the regard of player development, particularly of a high-valued asset who was a second-round draft pick in Claypool. Let me jump into this comment from Steeler Lee. Steeler Lee says it all depends on the quality of the players you have to make an assistant coach look good. The coach and players go hand in hand. I agree. But it also you also have to do two things as a coach, even if you draft a good player. You have to get the player better. You have to identify the player's weaknesses and strengths, sharpen the strengths, and enhance the weakness. Sharpen the strengths. Let me not enhance the weakness. Sharpens the strengths and work on the weaknesses. And that's for every possession group. You have to try to squeeze every bit out of a player that you can get. And in some instances, as a former coach, it's almost harder to coach really good players because they fall back on what they are good. I don't need to work so on and so forth. And there's also a motivational factor as well. Can you motivate guys to get better? Take a take take TJ Watt. As good as TJ Watt has been, TJ Watt has been coached phenomenally, phenomenally because he has improved steadily every single year and so is his production given where he was drafted. So it does go hand in hand, but there is a lot of work that a coach has to do to maximize what you're getting out of a player. And that has to coincide with the vision from the offensive coordinator and head coach to hopefully they put that player in the best position. And that's also what a coach has to do is a coach has to coach a player to the vision of the HC and OC 
to make sure you're getting the most out of that player because your responsibility as an assistant coach is to get is to maximize the talents of whatever pick that you get. Now, some guys like Steeler Lee says, some guys can't play. And it's just a bad evaluation from a draft perspective. But you have to get the most out of guys. And that's why I think when you look at it, you can really, you can really drill down in stats and player growth. If you have a player that's not improving over the course of time, two things are there. Three things. Maybe they don't fit the offense. Maybe the coaching is bad. And maybe the player just wasn't as good as the team originally evaluated. You know, you could also throw in stuff like maybe the player doesn't work, you know, so on and so forth. You can throw that type of stuff in it as well. But I think what Steeler fan does too often is they just they just hear a name, and Steeler fans are on one opposite pole or the other. Coach is terrible or the coach is the greatest coach of all time. It's either way. I mean, that that's kind of how it is when the Steeler fans evaluate it, when Steeler fans evaluate a coach. And so I think, um, you know, people have to be careful uh, just by necessarily just these gut reactions. Hopefully you guys didn't hear my phone in the background. Everybody knows I do a show at this time, but I'm still getting blown up. Shame on them. But I but I think those are the two things. You have to look at player growth and you have to look at the stats. I mean, you would whoever does the wide so the wide receivers, for instance, for the Pittsburgh Steelers have been coached very well over the course of Mike Tomlin's time. You know, the, the Steelers are basically like wide receiver. You know, they're wide receiver whispers. That's why I think that Claypool suffering or not suffering or Claypool not doing very well is a mystery given the fact that the Steelers have done so well uh, with that position. Let me jump into another comment from Steeler Lee. Steeler fans have to wonder if Mike had two first rounders and a second rounder in Gilbert would have been the same quality offensive line. I mean... I mean, we don't know. I mean, that 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 that's the beauty of it is, you know, we don't know. I mean, I mean, I, I think everybody knows that Mike Munchak being a gold jacket guy and a great coach, you know, I think the thought is that he probably would have done a better job with those young guys, but we don't know. I mean, that's the other thing that's really amorphous in terms of coaches is that, you know, sometimes it has to connect. You know, I always say it over and over. Coaching is the hardest thing that I've ever had to do um, in my life. And so, you know, you have to connect with guys. You have to speak the right language. You have to be able to motivate them. You have to be able to teach them in a way that they understand. You have to be able to synthesize the material. You've got to be tough on them. You got to give them hugs. You got to nurture them. I mean, you got to do everything. And so it's very difficult at times to have that impact on a player. But again, I'm thinking stats and player growth. I mean, you really have to look at player growth and stats. And I think stats is a way to measure player growth as well. You can see, you know, how much is the player progressing from a stat sheet perspective. But also, I think you have to keep that in, in a certain perspective because 
the prospect might not be as good as you thought that they were. So an example is Pratt Firemuth, right? You know, and people might compare Firemuth to Pitts, Kyle Pitts. Pitts was a much higher prospect. And so it might be an unfair comparison if after five years, Pitts has great numbers and Firemuth doesn't. You just have to also judge the player within where they are in terms of pedigree and see just how much a team is getting out of a player and a position group. Last comment I want to jump into is Steeler Lee's comment. I'm not saying he's not, but we just have to give the benefit of the doubt and see if the coaches we hired will pan out. I, I think so. I mean, you just you just have to see, because the one thing we don't have access and lens to is what they're doing every day. But the one thing we do have a lens to is how they play on the football field. But before we get out of here, I'm not going to make the show too long today. The last comment I wanted to make was Steeler fans and free agents. Steeler fans, we get ourselves in a tizzy every single year about every free agent that's possibly available. Y'all know the Steelers ain't signing nobody. Or, I shouldn't say that, y'all know the Steelers aren't going to sign or ain't going to sign any sexy free agent that you list on Twitter. So one week, how the Steelers should sign Jameis Winston because you saw Jameis Winston on a video in a locker room dropping back around cones. Come on, man. Come, come, come on, man. Every free agent that's available ain't coming to Pittsburgh and doesn't necessarily want to come to Pittsburgh. Come on, man. In terms of Double H's comments, I'm too old and wise to hope that the Roonies will pony up a ton of cash for any free agent. Here's the misconception with that. They not going to pony up a ton of money for a street free agent. They do t pony up a ton of money for their own free agents. Tua got paid a ton. Hayward got paid a ton. Mink is going to get paid. Ben got paid a bunch of times. And TJ got paid. They will pony up and roll the Brinks truck back for their own free agents. I mean, that's how it is. But before we get out of here, uh, let me jump into a couple more comments. Uh, Felicia said, I wonder if the Steelers will get Cam Hayward's little brother, Connor Hayward, since Mike has brother's Fred fetish. Ooh, um, not sure. Little Iron does look does look pretty good. Um, uh, Steelers shop at the dollar store and fans want Target products. <laughs> I think that that's correct. That's a good analogy there. But we're going to go ahead and get out of this out of here and end the show early. Want to thank everybody that hopped onto the program. But I think, again, when you look at the impact of, that's right, Steeler Lee also said that AB got his biggest pay, biggest payday from the Steelers. I think when you look at the impact of, uh, uh, of an assistant coach, it's player growth and stats. You combine those two, you can use stats as a measure of player growth. But you have to weigh it. Interestingly, when it comes to wins and losses, the overall goal is wins and losses, wins is loss, 
and losses, but you can drill down to see player growth and stats and stats is a measure of how a player is growing over time. But with that, we're going to conclude the show. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe.